You know, for parents, the new year is not only a fresh start, but it's also the perfect time to reassess your co-parenting arrangements and maybe make some necessary adjustments. This is especially true when one parent is struggling with alcohol abuse. So whenever I have a client concerned about their child's safety amidst their co-parent's addiction, I always recommend Soberlink. I have for years. Soberlink is a high-tech breathalyzer system that sends you instant results of your co-parent's alcohol levels. When your co-parent tests, their identity is automatically confirmed with facial recognition and there are tamper sensors that ensure no cheating has occurred. You then get instant proof that your kids are safe in their care. So this new year, let Soberlink support you in building a safer and more positive co-parenting environment. It is a tool that helps keep everyone's focus on what matters most, your family's safety and happiness. Start the new year with the right support. Visit www.soberlink.com forward slash Susan to learn more and get $50 off your device. Coming up on today's episode of the Divorce and Beyond podcast. I really encourage co-parents to do a mindset shift, to really think about how can I separate out all my emotions, say goodbye really to the relationship, trying to get my needs met, trying to get my co-parent to acknowledge me, to see that I'm worthy, uh, manage my my needs, and instead say hello to the co-parenting one, which is just about prioritizing your child and their needs and to get onto team kiddo, as I like to call it. Hello, and welcome to the Divorce and Beyond podcast. I'm Susan Guthrie, your host. As a top divorce attorney and family law mediator for 30 years, I know what you need to know to get through your divorce and most importantly, how to move beyond it to thrive and transition to your new future. My experts and I are here to give you the insider view into the process. So listen in for the wisdom and expert information you need on your journey through divorce and beyond. Hello and welcome to today's podcast. I'm Susan Guthrie, your host, and listeners, welcome back. We are in January, which we've talked about is Divorce Month or known as Divorce Month because what we have found historically in the industry is that many people at the beginning of the year, for a variety of reasons, find that divorces in their future, or they're thinking that divorce might be in their future. And so they're looking for information, uh, which is absolutely the right way to go about it. So one of the things that I'm trying to do for you all this month is to bring you some of the top experts on the topics that you will have at the top of your mind if divorce is in your future. So today I'm so delighted to have with me a wonderful new guest. And it's very exciting and perfect timing because her brand new book just came out. She is a therapist and a co-parenting coach and mediator. So she's got a lovely triumvirate of background here. Her book is called Cooperative Co-Parenting for Secure Kids, The Attachment Theory Guide to Raising Kids in Two Homes. Her name is Orisha Smolarski, and she's joining me today. We're going to help you help your kids 
not only just manage divorce. I mean, this isn't just really, I think, Arisha, for for parents going through divorce. These are for all parents because what we want, right, are secure kids. And your book is just a wonderful resource. So thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Susan, for having me. This is going to be a, a wonderful conversation for my listeners uh, and anyone, because we know that when people are finding out, parents are finding out that divorce is, is part of the future, the number one thing they Google, their biggest Google search by far, is how do I not mess up my kids with this divorce or some variation of that. Parents are worried. This is, you know, a big, huge factor. I just had Kate Anthony on talking about how hard it is to make that decision to divorce. And one of the biggest things that parents struggle with is that, you know, what is the effect going to be on my kids? What will this do to my kids? But if they now know, yes, we are going to be separating into two households, that's exactly what your book's about, right? The Attachment Theory Guide to Raising Kids in Two Homes. So what was the genesis of wanting to write this book? So my daughter um, likes to joke, like, if it wasn't for me, you wouldn't have written this book. <laughs> and I'm like, you're absolutely right. So there's sort of this image and this moment in time that always comes up for me when people ask me this. It's that day that I walked into the kitchen. It was probably about maybe a few weeks or a month after, you know, my co-parent moved out of the house. And, you know, I saw my daughter there. She was about six years old and she's looking down. And as I move closer to her, I can see like a little tear coming down her cheek. You know, I kneel down in front of her and I look into her eyes and I'm like, what's, what's happening, baby? What's going on? Now more tears are coming out. And she's like, I just feel so all alone in the woods. And that was the wake up call that I needed that she was struggling. My co-parent and I, we, it was a mess. It was, you know, we had never done this before. Obviously, we didn't know what we were doing. We were, you know, engaging in tension and conflict in front of her. And I realized that I couldn't rely on my co-parent, obviously, to make changes. So I had to look towards myself to learn how to engage and behave in ways that would decrease the tension. And so, of course, I went to the internet and looked for resources on how do I do this relationship, you know, because a co-parenting relationship is still a relationship. But I found that there really wasn't a lot of information on the how to be in a co-parenting relationship. There was a lot of information on what to do and what not to do. And so I was like, okay, well, I guess I need to figure this out on my own. So, you know, as a therapist, I looked towards what I knew about, you know, relationship principles and attachment theory. And I started to apply it to my own co-parenting relationship and it started working. We were able to move towards uh, more cooperation and our, the tension decreased. And then I noticed that my daughter started to feel more at ease. And I even got really positive feedback from my mom friends who were like, wow, your daughter is, seems so happy. She's thriving. Like, what's your secret? So, you know, I figured, okay, well, if I needed this information, most likely co-parents who are also on this journey need this information. So with a lot of encouragement from my colleagues and my friends, I decided to write it all down. So this book is a culmination of my own experiences, my own expertise, and what I know about relationship and attachment theory. And 
put in one place to provide a pathway for other co-parents to create a secure foundation for their kids so that their kids can thrive also. And I just want to say to you, you know, I've been lucky enough, you sent me a copy of the book while you were in the editing process. And I loved it. I wrote a testimonial for it. You just let me know it's on the back cover, which I'm delighted to hear because I really, this is a resource. I've been around, you know, this this divorce space, dealing with parents um, who are going through this process and struggling very honestly with it. And, and as an attorney or a mediator, I didn't have a lot of skills or resources to give them. And I do say to my colleagues out there, this is a book that you're going to want to be sure that your clients have if they have children from the get-go. Because, And that's one of the reasons I'm so delighted we're talking about this in January, where we know that people are starting their process very often. Because this is information that could very easily change the course for the better of how this entire process will go for this family. And one thing you just said there that I want to hone in on, because I think this is really important. You said, you know, I couldn't count on my co-parent to make the changes. So I turned to myself and there's so much empowerment in that, in realizing so often people get stuck on, well, I can't make them behave my co-parent, not the children, folks. I can't make my co-parent behave. And what you did is you turned it to yourself. And I think that's really critical for people to understand how much power they have. Absolutely. And I think that's a really big component of this book and the way that I wrote it is that, yes, you can work together with your co-parent and you have the power to change the dynamic of a relationship just in the way that you engage with it, in the awareness that you bring, in the self, the healing that you do for yourself can change the way that you engage, the way that you open up a conversation, the way that you communicate, which will decrease you know, the trigger system that happens between two people. I like to look at the beginning phases of like what, what's happening at that critical moment when you're moving from a romantic relationship and having to go into a co-parenting relationship. And that's where all the conflict and all the emotions live. And as a therapist, I love to live in the world of emotions. And most often underneath all of our behaviors are emotions. And they're not always uh, just about what's happening right now. Most often they're linked to our pasts to our past traumas, to our past wounds, to the ways in which our parents couldn't meet our needs, the ways in which like now your 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 spouse couldn't meet your needs. And so now here you are dealing with a separation and there's so much anger and hurt and resentments that are alive and well. And a lot of that plays out in the ways that we're interacting. Um, there are a lot of fears also about like, like you mentioned, how is this going to affect my kid? But also fears of your own, like, what does this mean about me and my future? Fear about being alone, financial stability. And some of those fears also stem back into our early childhood traumas. There's also a lot of shame that plays a really big role. Um, shame is this sort of silent underbelly that makes us feel unworthy or not lovable. Um, and so people engage in more like uh, control mechanisms or trying to, you know, overexert their sense of power as a means to manage their own shame of being unlovable or unworthy, or maybe I'm not a good enough parent, or I don't want people to see that I'm, you know, a failure, which I think happens also or comes from, you know, the past. It comes from their experiences in that relationship, but also comes from 
our society. I think that there is such a stigma around divorce that perpetuates this shame stigma of you failed. You know, something's wrong with you. You're selfish. You know, look, you're hurting your kids. All of that is part of what creates so much division and conflict and fighting for proving that you're right or who's right or who's wrong, I think comes from the the negative divorce narrative that is in our culture. And so part of the reason why I also wanted to write the book is I want to change that narrative. Like, let's talk about divorce is is normal. I mean, 50% of marriages end in divorce. Half yeah. the people you know are going to be divorced. That's it's normal. Let's normalize it for ourselves and for our kids because of the way that we engage the, with ourselves and the internal messages that we hold around divorce is going to directly affect the way that our kids also view and feel being part of a two-home family system. So we get to change the narrative for ourselves, but also for our kids so they can feel like this is normal. This is not weird at all. There's nothing wrong with this. I don't have to be shy or, you know, say like, feel like something's wrong with me or that something's wrong with my family. It's just that the family system has changed. It's no longer one home family system. It's a two home family system. So I think that's really important to look at. It's a big piece of what's going on. And also the stress, you know, there's so much stress that happens. So much. And to realize that like, you know, when we're in a stress state, our system goes into fight, flight, freeze, or fawn mode. And so trying to make a decision when you're in a high protective state, when you're are, you know, all these different emotions are trading places in your body, you're not going to make decisions that are actually really good for your child. You're, you're just in high protective, like I need to make sure I'm safe, which is all about you. So I really encourage co-parents to do a mindset shift, to really think about how can I separate out all my emotions, say goodbye really to the relationship trying to get my needs met, trying to get my co-parent to acknowledge me, to see that I'm worthy, you know, to uh, manage my my needs and instead say hello to the co-parenting one, which is just about prioritizing your child and their needs and to get onto team kiddo, as I like to call it. Team kiddo is a great, it's a great term and something that, you know, if that's in your mind or something even you and your co-parent can say to each other. I'm thinking of um, some friends of mine who every decision in their divorce, they said they would say, well, instead of what works best for me, what works best for you, what works best for our child, right? Everything was measured against that. And I, and I think there's, there's, gosh, there's so much in in what you've said here, but I'm, I'm thinking about that mindset shift that you just referenced, because this is something that is incredibly common for people, right? The very beginning part of divorce is a time of probably the the highest and most intense negative emotional state. Kate and I talked about in our recent episode, right? There's inherent in the divorce process is a type of rejection, right? Nobody likes to feel that they've been rejected, that this their needs weren't met. You, you've stated that so eloquently. Yet, it is probably for your children's sake, the most critical time to make a mindset shift, which is that shift from romantic relationship to co-parenting relationship. Yeah. One thing you do in the book that I thought was so incredibly effective, and you do it early on, um, but you you tell, give the example of three sets of parents, 
and how they manage communication. And it, it, it's, you know, a pretty typical, there's, there's a couple that doesn't do it very well at all. Um, there's a couple that's doing it all right. They've got some of it right. And then there's a couple that's doing it much better. Um, but those are really pretty typical. But I would say most often for most people, they're in that space where you, I think you used earlier the word trigger. Mm-hmm. Because they're so highly emotional, almost every conversation contains triggers that escalate into a conflict cycle. Mm-hmm. What would you tell parents who are right in that moment, because we know people are right now, about being able to start making that mind shift change, how they they break that cycle or not even enter into it in the first place? I mean, one thing that I like to offer co-parents at the at right as they enter into my office, right at the stage is sort of a visual representation of this mindset shift. Um, And I call it the cooperative co-parenting triangle. So when the two of you were together, and I'm going to show you, Susan, what it is, but I'll try to describe it for people who aren't seeing the visual. When the two of you were together, you you can put your thumbs together. It was just about you guys succeeding, right? And that was the romantic relationship and everything in it was romantic. And that was your relationship. And then your child came into that system. And that's the upside down triangle. The two of you are still at the top of the food chain and your child comes into it. Now with this breakup, this triangle has to shift. It flips. Now your child is at the top of the food chain. They're at the top of the apex of the triangle. And the two of you are the secure base can feel really secure that their, you know, home, that their system is still, you know, solid. And then the size of the triangle represent the quality of the relationship each of you are going to have with your, with your child. And so this visual I hand to co-parents. I once actually had um, a co-parenting team and their child came into screen for a moment. And she even did this and she did the, the triangle and was just like, yeah. And it's just like something that you know, you can, you know, as you create your fine, you know, foundational agreement of we want to make sure that we're committed to the well-being and all and, and prioritizing the needs of our child. You can use this visual representation of are all of the decisions we're making right now, this specific decision, this, you know, interaction, is this prioritizing the need of the child? And often, you know, in those interactions, is exactly when you're going to be triggered, right? That's what would happen with me and my co-parent. He'd walk into the door and would, you know, try to make a decision. And I'm like, this is not the time. And he's like, we can talk about it now. And meanwhile, my kid is hiding under the table because she's like, ah, this is too much tension. I don't like this, right? So I think the other thing that I talk to co-parents about of how to navigate this is where understanding their attachment style can come in to play of like, how do I understand my attachment style and my needs and my triggers and the ways in which I communicate? Um, And how is that actually creating the exact outcome that I don't want to happen? You know, how is it activating, you know, the the triggers of my co-parent? And how can we be more intentional in those interactions so that we don't create, you know, negative outcomes, which eventually just hurts the kid? Yeah. Trickles right back down. But I love that. I'm going to tell my listeners, I am going to, with your permission, take that excerpt from the video, and I'm going to put that out on social, everybody. So go to Instagram, 
um, go to my Instagram account and Orisha's, I'll give it to you as well. And I want to put that out because I want you guys to go see her do the triangle because it's a very powerful message. And I can see parents walking along, making triangles at each other when they're both slipping a little bit in their communication style. So have that little secret signal. Hello, amazing listeners. As we're navigating the complexities of divorce and beyond together, I've noticed how many of you are not just seeking personal growth, but are also passionate entrepreneurs and business-minded individuals. And that's why I want to introduce you to my other podcast, the Make Money Mediating Podcast. On Make Money Mediating, I dive into the world of business and entrepreneurship. It's a space where I share insights and strategies on how you can thrive in your professional life, especially if you're interested in the field of mediation or law, but really if you are a business person seeking success in any field. Each episode is packed with tips, stories, and bits of wisdom to help you grow your business and make an impact. So if you're someone who loves divorce and beyond, and you're looking to expand your business acumen or explore the world of mediation, the Make Money Mediating Podcast is your next must listen. Join me there after this episode, and let's continue our journey of growth and success together. Stay tuned for more from therapist and author, Arisha Smolarski, as she shares tips and insights on using attachment theory and styles to find a cooperative way to co-parent during and after your divorce. It's the best approach for your kids. Empowering co-parents and empowering individual parents to be able to understand their own emotional landscape, to understand their attachment style so that they can create a secure base and secure foundations for their kids so that their kids don't take on the burdens of divorce. And instead they can thrive and feel free in their lives today, tomorrow, and into their futures. If you're enjoying this episode, be sure to check out last week's special episode where I shared my own top tips and insights for starting your divorce off right. After more than 30 years in the business, I've seen people make the same common mistakes in the early days of their divorce, and this episode is designed to help you avoid them all. It is not divorce that harms your children, that harms kids, that leads to bad outcomes for kids of divorced parents. It's how you handle the divorce. And now we return to today's show. You just mentioned here the the key to understanding the triggers and learning to avoid them or work around them or not not, not pull the trigger, shall we say, mm-hmm. um, comes from attachment theory and understanding each attachment styles. And one thing I do say to clients in many different instances in a divorce process is one benefit two people have, although they don't think there are any benefits as they're going through this process, but is that they know each other pretty well, right? They understand each other. They may not have put a lot of thought into each other and each other's needs and all that. Usually that has 
maybe they did in early days, but it's devolved. But if they spend some time and know what to be looking for and thinking about, i.e. if they're thinking about attachment styles, etc., they often do have a lot of information that can be helpful to both of them in this. So can you walk us through attachment theory and why you say this is the basis for cooperative co-parenting? Yeah. So, you know, as I mentioned before, the co-parenting relationship is just as valid a relationship as any other, as a marriage, as dating, as a friendship. And so attachment theory actually explains our behavioral patterns that we see happen in any relationship. You know, it explains why do we do what we do? Why do I get triggered by what that person does? And so our, so attachment theory, just as in a nutshell, was developed by John Bowlby in the 50s and later Mary Ainsworth in the 60s came in and made some significant contributions in terms of the way that we understand attachment theory today. So it's based upon the principle that human babies have an innate biological drive to seek protection, to connect, to seek care, comfort, and protection from their primary caregivers, who are their early attachment figures. As we grow older, as we turn into adults, (laughs) our attachment figures then become our romantic partners. So depending on how present and available and consistent, our caregivers were to meeting the child's needs for, you know, emotional attunement, let's say when they're scared or during a separation um, or, you know, making them feel like, oh, they're available. The child is going to develop adaptive strategies in order to get their needs met. And these are needs that are based in survival because a child depends 100% on their parents for survival. There are three basic attachment styles that can explain these different patterns of behavior that um, I explain in a lot more detail in the book. Um, There's secure. (laughs) Secure attachment is when the parent was very consistent, was available, responded to their child's needs. They felt safe, seen, and understood. And they knew that they can count on their parent to to be able to soothe them. And so the child develops a sense of security in the world. They have a sense of confidence. Um, They learn how to self-regulate. They can navigate difficult situations such as a divorce more easily. Um, And they, you know, have a healthy self-esteem. And these kids as adults then will be able to navigate a divorce or a separation with much more ease. You know, they, they have a sense of lovability and worthiness. And so they can, you know, move through, you know, the divorce and not necessarily put harm onto their kids. The other one is avoidant. So uh, someone with an avoidant attachment style tends probably had a caregiver who wasn't very present or wasn't uh, reliable. They may have minimized their emotions or their needs, may have punished them for having needs, you know, like, you know, or, or minimize the fact that they are sad or scared. Just like, ah, don't be a crybaby, you know, go to your room. And, you know, when you figure it out, come back. And meanwhile, the kid is like, oh, it's not safe to have emotions because I lose that connection with my parent. I need that connection and that love in order to survive. So I'm going to do something. I'm going to shut my, shut down my own emotions. I'm going to learn to become self-reliant and being independent is the way to go. Because if I don't need anyone, then I'm not going to continue to feel that pain of rejection every time my parent isn't there to meet me or anytime I get like high expectations from them. And then if I don't meet those expectations, that must mean I'm unworthy in some way. I'm bad. And so as adults, these people tend to have difficulty in expressing their emotions. 
Um, they don't do well with, you know, intimacy or connection. And during a breakup or a separation, they may, you know, act as if the relationship never mattered. Um, they may start dating really quickly as a means of, you know, managing their own emotions. Um, they don't communicate very well. Sometimes, you know, texts may take, you know, days for them to respond because they need more time to process information. That definitely plays out in, in the interactions in co-parenting relationships. And then you have the anxious, ambivalent attachment style. And that child may have had a caregiver who was inconsistent in their availability. Maybe the, you know, the, the parent was present sometimes, and maybe the parent was preoccupied with their own emotions or their own needs. And, or maybe they turned situations or the child's needs into their own and prioritized their own. So the child learned that they had to, you know, either over-exaggerate their needs to get them met, or maybe they had to people please or, you know, take care of the parents need in order to get their own met, their own need met. And so as adults, these kids tend to need a lot of reassurance from external sources, and they uh, tend to come into relationships with a lack of trust, scanning always like, when's the, the shoe going to drop? You know, I'm not sure I can, you know, feel safe in this relationship, um, looking for like when the next abandonment is going to happen. And in breakups, they tend to cling you know, a little bit longer yeah. to the relationship than they should. Um, they need their, they wear their emotions on their sleeve. Um, maybe they engage in a lot more anger, external anger as a way to either remind themselves of why they don't want to be in the relationship or just to maintain some level of connection. Um, so I find that when co-parents can start to identify what is my attachment style, my patterns that existed way before I even met this person and my triggers, then you can start to develop more self-compassion. And then you can understand and be more aware of your co-parents' attachment style so that you don't activate and trigger the landmines that will just put you right into the situation that you don't want to be in. You know, you don't want to trigger the avoidant co-parent to shut down and to ignore your texts. Yeah, because then everything, that's what spir spirals out of control. And for all of you out there listening, right, that is why the book's subtitle or, or, you know, yeah, subtitle is the attachment theory guide to raising kids in two homes, cooperative co-parenting for secure kids, right? We're going for secure kids here. Right. And I would say, you know, my experience of the human race um, is that we have less in the secure group and more in one of those other two groups than uh, it's not like equal distribution amongst the the groups, but once once you have that insight, and and I think for people who are listening right now, bells are going off, right? I love that part of an episode where people are like, oh, ding, 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 right, right. right? Like this sounds like it makes so much sense. But so once you know that, once you start having some of that awareness, both of your own triggers and what's going to trigger your co-parents, how do you take control of managing that relationship and, and, and that communication for, uh, for the benefit of your ch child or children, right? I mean, it's really, is this something that you talk about that with them directly? Oh, yeah. Um, Hey, you are avoidant because your mom wasn't around when you were a kid. <laughs> I think it depends on the co-parenting team and what they can, what kind of capacity they have. Sometimes they're like, we, I don't want to actually be vulnerable with my co-parent anymore, but 
I have an understanding enough about the patterns of uh, the different attachment styles that I'm constantly gathering that information. And I utilize that in helping them create strategies of communication that's actually going to meet their needs and not trigger each other. So for example, I had a co-parenting team come in and one of them was like, you know, I just want him to be more involved. I text him. I want him to like, you know, the, the teacher keeps you know, wanting us to meet and he's not responding. And, you know, I, I I want us to make decisions around what color shoes we should have for the kid. And so there's a whole litany of things of all the things she wants. And I'm like, yeah. And he's sitting there like, yeah, all of that is happening all at the same time. And I can't keep up. She sends me these texts all the times, all the time during work. And I just, you know, I've told her I can't respond to all of them. And she's like, I just want you to be more involved. And this is not a case of like high conflict, actually. This is really just about different communication styles. And he's like, yeah, but I just feel like you're telling me what to do all the time. I just, you know, so he starts shutting down and not responding. He's like, oh, yeah, I forgot to respond. So he starts to forget to respond to her texts, gets overwhelmed and turns inward. And it's like, I'm just going to do what I do in my home and I'm you know, have a good relationship with my kid. It's fine. What was happening though, it was causing a lot of tension between them, which was then starting to create confusion for the kid. And so, you know, in, in showing them that like, if you move towards minimizing the amount of text though. So for her, it was like, she had an anxious ambivalent attachment style. So the, what he needed was fewer texts with relevant information in one text, like just bullet points, the who, what, where, and when, and to give him a time frame of when he needed to respond by. Then he could look at it and see, okay, I have two days to respond. So in just giving her the got it, thumbs up, I'll let you know by Friday at 5 p.m., calmed her system down and allowed her to feel seen, heard, and that she would get information by a certain amount of time, which decreased the amount of text that she was sending out. It was the amount of text and him not responding that had her keep actually sending more texts. And then he was getting more overwhelmed. So they were creating the trigger system, right? Right. So that immediately shifted the dynamic like night and day. That was it. Actually, they were like, good, we got the system. We know how to do this. You know, so that was an easy one, but that that's an example of how, you know, in understanding their attachment styles, you know, cause she needed like to feel validated in the response and the connection. But once she realized that that was actually causing the negative outcome that she didn't want the ignoring, right. She, she was actually people. causing what she didn't want to, you know, getting the exact opposite. I love that example because it it truly shows the power. And one of the things that you you mentioned there is working with your parenting team. And I just want listeners to know what you mean by a team because I think that that is important. Yeah. So I talk about the co-parenting team all the time. I think it's it's really important to look at the two of you as a team. So you think about like a sports team, right? <laughs> So everybody on the sports team has one goal to win, but every person on the sports team has a different role and skill sets. And so if you think about your co-parenting team as two people with the same goal to raise a healthy and happy child, but both of you bring in different skill sets, different values, different styles of doing things, and that you enhance each other and that you both have value to the outcome of your child. 
And you can acknowledge that um, as opposed to fighting who, for who's right and wrong or like whose values are right and whose parenting style is right or wrong. It's more about how can we work together to enhance our different skill sets where we you know, excel and maybe where we have some challenges. You can fill in the blanks of that. And in that way, you're both working towards the same goal, which is your child. And your child feels that. They they innately feel my parents are working together, which is what every single child wants. They That's want you to see that their parents are working together. They want to know that they can love both parents. So when you guys operate as a team and get on team kiddo, your kid feels safe, secure. They're like, my parents got this. I can just go play and learn and be a kid. Be a kid. <laughs> Right. Uh, and that's, that's the secure kid that you're trying to raise. And you as parents have a lot of power behind that to do that. So for parents who want to get on Team Kiddo, let's talk about how to get the book. It just came out. Congratulations. I know with all my friends who are birthing books these days that how much work and, and, you know, true sweat, blood and tears goes into that. So congratulations to you. How can people get it? How can people find out more about you? So you can go to my website, arishasmalarski.com. You can find me on Instagram at Cooperative Co-Parenting. And you can buy the book anywhere that you buy books. Just type in Cooperative Co-Parenting Arisha. You don't even need my whole name. And it will show up. And then you can order it from anywhere that you prefer. I, I really, I highly encourage you all. And to my colleagues, I encourage you to get multiples of these books so that you can hand them out to co-parents. Or just do what I do um, with Christina McGee's book. I'll start doing this with, with Arisha's book as well when I work with a, a parenting team because I like the team concept. So when I work with the parenting team, I just ship them straight from from Amazon to my clients. And they, I tell you, it, it, it really goes a long way to not only making clients feel supported mm -hmm. uh, because you're giving them resources as a mediator or as an attorney or as a, whatever your role in their world might be, but it also will help you in the end because if you're if your clients are better able to manage their um, their interaction and their communication, it's only going to help their divorce process be better. So it's a win-win for everyone all the way around. But most importantly, for the kiddos. And that's what's that's why you did this, I know. That's why. And I just want to remind every person out there that it can feel very disempowering to feel like you, like, how do I do this, right? And I just want to remind you that it only really takes one parent to create a secure relationship with your child. And that security is on a continuum. This podcast and the information in the book is about learning and creating more awareness so that you can be a better parent, so you can be a better co-parent, so that you can create a secure child. Even if you see some insecurities in there, that's okay because it is on a continuum. You can move towards creating more security in your own home. That's all you can control. And I think, you know, when I was able to realize that, that's when it became easier in a way. I was like, I can do this. So I, you know, I really, so this book really is about empowering co-parents and empowering individual parents to be able to understand their own emotional landscape, to understand their attachment styles so that they can create a secure base and secure foundations for their kids so that their kids don't take on the burdens of divorce. And instead they can thrive and feel free 
in their lives today, tomorrow, and into their futures. What a great note to end on, right? Exactly what we're looking for. Arisha, thank you so much for joining me, for writing the book, for putting this out there for people. I highly encourage, again, all my listeners to get this book. If you have friends who are going through divorce or family members and they are parents, this is the book. The earlier they get this in the process, I promise you, the better it will be for everyone, but most importantly, Team Kiddo. So thank you so much. Thank you so much, Susan, for having me. This was such a great conversation. Thank you for joining me today on the Divorce and Beyond podcast. I hope you found some information and inspiration to help you on this journey. Please join me every Monday at 6 a.m. Eastern Standard Time for a new episode. And if you like the show, please take the time to subscribe and leave me a five-star review on iTunes. You can also find more information on the website at divorceandbeyondpod.com where you'll find links to the YouTube channel, transcripts of the episodes, and other bonus content. So I'll see you next week to help you move through your divorce and beyond.